like you know say we are over everybody welcome back to the vulnerability talk show this is your host mish with my special guest taylor and i forgot to mention that there's two weeks left of the semester and i think that's the most exciting thing but it also means that a lot of work is um falling down on us so again as usual like i always say i hope you guys are taking care of yourselves i hope that you are um prioritizing yourself and your mental health um before your schoolwork <laughs> i don't know if that's the right thing to say but um I think you need to be in a good place to be able to do um, your work to the best of your ability. Anyway, let's meet our guest, Taylor. Hi, it's so great to have you. Thanks for having me. Am I ready? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. I'm thankful to be here and excited to chat with you today. That's so awesome. How's your day going? Uh, not too bad. I'm actually on my lunch break. Um, I came from work, so I'm really excited. I have a super busy day, but really thankful once again to be here. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so tell us about Taylor and who she is and what's going on with her. Okay, well, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I just recently finished school. I was in school for eight years. Um, I'm originally from the mainland, uh, the Metro Vancouver area. A lot of people like to say Vancouver, but that is incorrect. Yeah. Uh, so most of my life, I grew up in Burnaby, and then um, I was going to school at SFU. Didn't do too well there. So then I went to Douglas, and then got my Associate of Arts in Criminology, and um, worked with kids. I absolutely love kids. They're super awesome, and um, decided that criminology was just not for me um, in the way that I want to work with kids, in the way that the criminal justice system kind of. Um, deals with people mm -hmm. and so um i it's kind of funny how i ended up in nanaimo i applied to two places viu as well as uvic one for social work and one for child and youth care and viu got back to me first mm -hmm. and it was just really cool because the program that i was in child and youth care was just completely whatever i believed in in terms of how we should treat people how we should we treat kids yeah. it just was like this is it. It was like a light bulb finally went off and I was like in school. I guess I was a student for eight years. So eight years for a bachelor's is a quite a long time. But I know there's lots of people out there that are, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do with school. So just know that it took me eight years to find out what I want to do. So no worries if, you, if you're having a little bit of a struggle out there. That's super awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I think right now in my journey, I I'm so scared of what's going to happen. Like, I'm like, two weeks until school ends, but I am so scared. I'm like, what's going to happen when I graduate? Like, how did you deal with those feelings before you graduated? You know, that's a really good question. I think for a while, I felt really weird not being a student anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, my identity for such a long time was being a student. And um, so what I did was I kind of... There was a time where I was hanging out with a lot of my friends that were still in school. And then I kind of took a step back and I got busy, unfortunately, just as life. And then um, kind of just separated myself from school and started to create. I'm still kind of creating myself outside of this student kind of persona because I was everything that I did was at the school. I was an, um, a community leader. I worked for the Office of Co-Curricular Engagement and Learning. I lived on campus for the three years that I was there. So I think the separation was really good. And I mean, it's a lifelong journey, so I can't really, I don't have an answer. Just, you know, I'm finding things that I like to do. I'm actually making time to go to the gym, which is amazing. Awesome. I didn't really, I had so many excuses when I was a student not to go. Yeah. I had to finish my paper <laughs> or I binge neck still do that though <laughs> but yeah that's kind of um I take it day by day and um just trying to figure out 
spending a lot of time outside too is important to me as well. And I encourage everyone to do that as well. Right. <laughs> so thinking of your first um, degree, it was a degree, right? Yeah, it was Associate of Arts. So it's like a diploma. Okay. Yeah. How did you feel completing that and realizing that this is not for me? Um, I think for me, um, <laughs> I always had this idea that I was going to get my doctorate one day. Who mm. knows? I might. Um, right. But I think I knew in who I am. I love school and me having to go and figure out something else. It maybe at the time I kind of beat myself up about it. But looking back now, I wouldn't change it for the world because um, I really figured out who I was as a person. It's really interesting through my degree. I actually found a source of healing with stuff that's happened in my life. Right. And um, and it's just because the things that I was learning, I was able to apply it in my own life as well as make sure that I'm accessing resources outside of school to make sure that I'm a healthy human. Mm. So I think um, I had a goal and my partner, who I love very dearly, he <laughs> always says, don't put timelines on your life. So I said by 25, I was going to have my degree. Well, I'm 26 and I have my degree, but it's okay. It is yeah. what it is. And I think, you know, we're in our 20s. It's important to just live, I think, and not be so focused on like, you know, darn, I should really, I haven't finished school yet. Oh, should I be married? Should I buy a house? Mm. Well, let me tell you, we're not buying a house in this climate. But, you know, <laughs> just like I think it's important to just, you know, enjoy this time because we're going to shut our eyes one day and we're going to be 50. Right. So. <laughs> That's so scary. <laughs> I know, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. So what has been your biggest achievement in your career thus far? Um, I think for me, um, all three of my years of being in the program I was on honor roll and let me tell you like I failed my first year of university so to come from failing university mm. to being on the honor roll was just amazing right. and I think just being able to work with people with similar minds as me um and I completed my degree like that's something that I should be really that's a big achievement of. yeah yeah it, yeah so um yeah, I think those two things. And yeah, I mean, I have an amazing job that I'm working at now and I'm super thankful and um, yeah, can't complain. <laughs> what do you, what is something that you wish you had known before you started your job? Um, that is, I think, how complicated it can be. Mm. Um, just walking alongside people who have not been able to maybe get the benefit of the doubt or has had systems around them that's kind of, you know, just kind of didn't give them the opportunity to see their potential. And I think right. that's some of the the things that I'm going to continue to struggle with with the rest of my life mm -hmm. and why I often will go home frustrated because you know, they just, they are trying and then they get beat down by the system and right. it drives me insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's a very complicated um, thing because the system will not be tackled in one day. And um, how often do you feel so small in, in um, trying to fight these systemic things that, um, you know, that affect your, your clients and the people that you work with? That's a really good question. I think um, when I think about what can happen, I get really unmotivated. I think taking it day by day and looking at the small victories that we can accomplish. And, you know, I'm just there to walk alongside these clients that I have, like I really care for all of them. They feel like an extension of my family, mm. which is kind of weird to say, but I really genuinely care about them all so, so much. Right. And um, I think just being able to witness and be their cheerleader mm. um, is like something that keeps me rolling and keeps me wanting to, you know, 
get up and do it again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good point about small victories. Um, I think when I moved to Canada, I was like, you know, I'm trying my best to, I learned about recycling and, you know, I was trying my best to do the right thing, but I'd see a lot more of, you know, other people not even trying. But I then just told myself that I'm going to do what I can as a person. So I think it just goes in hand in hand with your concept of, you know, let me do what the, the best that I can as, as a person. Mm-hmm. Right. So thinking of your last year of college, what is your favorite memory associated with your last year? I mean, there were so many. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I made some really amazing friendships in my last year of um, college, which was well, obviously, it's not like college ended and I stopped talking to them. I still talk to them. It's not that. Um, but I think that just spending time with them was really awesome, as well as as much as school was really hard online, um, you know, I became really close with a lot of my professors, um, you know, had those ups and downs. This last year was actually really rough mm. um for me personally just because my uh, my dad passed away this year sorry to hear that of cancer and so and covid so it's all those things um mixed up but even though for a lot of people they might think that it might have been a really rough rough year for me i think the people around me and just the opportunities that i've had whether it be through my jobs or just hanging out like we i went to tofino mm. for the first time and um that was like a really amazing experience and um yeah I think the last year it was like bittersweet it was like the excitement that I'm almost done Mm. and then also a kind of the sadness about like no it's my time to kind of fly away and even though I'm still doing you know I'm still on residence doing some programming (laughs) once a week Mm -hmm. but um yeah I would say I'm when I speak, I talk about 50 million things in one sentence. So <laughs> I hope you got what I'm trying to say. Love that. <laughs> um, just thinking about college and relationships and making friends. How was that for you? I find it very difficult to um, make friends. Did you make friends in class? Did you approach people? And yeah. So I think um, for a long time, when people meet me for the first time, they're either intimidated intimidated by me or they are kind of like "Ooh, what's going on with her (laughs) and I think it's just the way that I carry myself I think at first when I came into the program I was a transfer student and there was a couple other people in my program they're like child and youth care is very cohesive Mm -hmm. so once a cohort is like together they're together and trying to break into that is kind of like really really daunting So my first year at BIU, I would say, you know, I just put myself out there like I was a student ambassador. I tried to like I lived on residence. I tried to go make friends Um, and some friends I like in my classes. They're still my friends and some of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And um, when I became a community leader, I really had to talk to people. Whether I liked it or not. No, I'm just kidding. I loved it. Um, (laughs) And I'm in that way, I'm an extrovert. Like, I really love bringing people together. And I think because I love bringing people together that I just create all these amazing friendships. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so going back to child and youth care, just thinking of it, I think many people believe that it is not only tedious, but also overwhelming and yeah how do you how do you overcome (laughs) just how tedious and overwhelming and and just the the amount of work you have to do and i think you have to kind of suppress your emotions to kind of cater to the people that you're helping how do you deal with that that's a really good question so there's been times where i have been just in my job i've only been there for seven months but holy it's been a whirlwind of learning Mm. (laughs) Um, I, you have to recognize that at the end of the day, we are human. So when your client is being vulnerable and crying and you feel a tear or your eyes wallowing up in your face, that's a human emotion and they're struggling. And because they're struggling, you feel that, right? Mm. 
And I am not perfect in any ways. I go home and have like verbal diarrhea with my partner (laughs) being like, this is what's happened to me today. I can't believe this. And, you know, it's just I need that time to kind of externalize it. And I think one of those things that in my job, it's very difficult. Um, The circumstances as well as just like, you know, the system itself impacting these families. Um, Making sure that I have been accessing support professional support Mm -hmm. um just because at the end of the day if i i am a paid professional i need to do the work to make sure that i'm stable enough to work alongside these families and children and be that healthy person and if i'm not doing that and i'm telling them well why haven't you done that then they're not going to be like taylor you didn't even do it so why should i do it right so i guess have to walk the walk, you know, <laughs> not just talk the talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is some advice you could give to um, the system, per se, of how to better support these families and, and cater to their needs? I mean, I think the system, it's a really loaded question. Like, I <laughs> personally think there needs to be reform in many systems, education, you know, criminal justice the child welfare system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just important. You know, I think as humans, we label people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to remember that people are more than the labels that we put on them. Yeah. And I think some of the families that I've worked with, they've had these horrendous uh, labels put on them. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, I'm going to just meet you and learn who you are. And we'll go from there. Whatever this piece of paper says about you, it doesn't really matter to me. Right. You could either confirm this or we could create a new narrative. And mm-hmm. I think uh, what's important is these creating new narratives about people. Um, the system itself is never going to change, ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as I want to, you know, go up there and change it, I know that I don't have that much power. Mm-hmm. But I can, on a smaller level... I can try to, you know, make these little ripples that hopefully one day it will get up there. Mm. Um, so I don't know if that really answered that it question. Does. <laughs> it does. As a person of color, though, how do you set boundaries? Because I know listening to some of these stories, I feel like you can somehow relate or understand how the system can fail these people. So what kind of like, what kind of boundaries do you need to set um, so that you don't get overly emotional? Or, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if I phrased that correctly. but I know what you're trying to say. I think, and it's important to recognize, yes, I'm a, in a way, as being a person of color, you kind of expect these things to happen. Right. Which is really unfortunate. And it actually makes me really upset a lot of the times where I'm like, yeah, you know, why aren't you surprised by that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know what to say like that. Like, you're, I'm dumbfounded, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I do get overwhelmed with emotions and I do get wear down, but I make sure that I have time to express those mo- emotions because if I'm just going to suppress them, they're going to come out in the most ridiculous, ridiculous way Mm. i'll give you an example one time i was in my first year of at viu Mm. and we're having this conversation about i don't even remember what but something happened and this one of my classmates got Mm. extremely like passionate i took it as aggressive right to me at the time but there's other stuff going on in my life and then I just started sobbing in class. This is like my first year at VIU and I just start crying. Yeah. And I, the reason why I mentioned this story is because at that moment I realized it had nothing to do with that person mm-hmm. but myself. And I wasn't doing the appropriate things to take care of myself. Right. And so everyone, you know, the big chime word, self-care, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's so many things that. You know, people can be like, you know, take a bubble bath, eat some ice cream. Mm. But actually, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more. Those things are amazing things to like unwind, Mm -hmm. do all those things. That's a that could be a part of your self-care routine. But 
it takes a little bit more. And the number one thing is for me, I find is actually sitting with those feelings. Yes. And those feelings absolutely suck. Mm. And giving, I absolutely hate crying. <laughs> and that's toxic in my opinion. Mm. Like, you know, I should be comfortable with that. Right. But, you know, trying to, and this is something that I'm working on, is making sure that I have that ability to just sit there and maybe just feel like I'm going to cry. Mm. Even though if I won't, you know. Um, so I guess just making like whatever in this job, if you hold space for other people to have emotions and feel how the system's impacting them and how it's draining, you should do the same for yourself because it's not fair, um, to yourself as a person to just have those feelings keep coming down and down and down on you because then you will start crying in your class for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, let's talk about self-care. Um, I don't know. I think just hearing you speak, a lot of self-care nowadays is associated with, you know, buy yourself this, take yourself out. And how about people that can afford that? I'm probably stressed or depressed because I don't have the money to do that. So I don't know. Self-care is... Um... <laughs> it's so it's, tricky. It is. And unfortunately, we live, this is another thing, we live in a capitalistic society who values, you know, we need to buy things to feel good about ourselves. But, you know, one of the, sometimes what we need to do is put our phone away. We need to just, you know, disconnect. Right. Um, You know, whether that is watching TV, going for a walk, connecting with a friend. Some of my best self-care is connecting with a friend having a laugh, mm. you know, um, self-care does not need to cost money. Not at all. You okay. just need to find doing a hobby. Like, I don't know. I love to bake mm. when I'm super stressed. Right. So some of the people on residence, if you're listening, you probably <laughs> remember my stress baking. I would make banana bread. I would make cookies. Mm. Give it away. But it was just a way for me to kind of the whole process of like, it's about disconnecting because I find when we are stressed, depressed, whatever the words are, right? <laughs> we turn to our phones and, you know, they're like, oh, this person's having a great life. I'm having a crappy life. This sucks. But it's like, actually, you know, people only post the good things. They don't necessarily post the bad things. Right. Or if you do post the bad things, people are like, oh, there you go. Feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> so it's like an oxymoron or whatever the word is, you know, it's like, yeah. So I think. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't ever have to be, you have to buy something. And I have to remind myself that. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I there was a time I would just buy a lot of things. And now I have so many clothes that I don't need and I don't know what to do with them. And I, I'm having so much trouble, like, organizing them because I need to get rid of them. And it's like, that's making me stressed and depressed, too. And it's like, I can't buy anything right now because I already have too much of the thing I'm trying to get rid of. But, um. Yeah, um, for me, self-care is is not, I don't remember like being sad and, you know, having a bubble bath and feeling like, yeah, I feel good now, I'm fine. My yeah. life is good now. <laughs> I don't remember um, um, doing that. I think disconnecting definitely is, is, um, is the solution. Just getting off your phone and, yeah. I think my biggest source of depression is definitely my phone mm-hmm. just seeing like what you mentioned earlier i'm 20 something and other 20 somethings are doing this and tiktok is saying how i'm you know uh successful at you know i'm a multi-millionaire um at 23 and you're thinking what yeah. <laughs> i'm not even done with my life like i'm not even done with college like how how do you do that but it i feel like it it steals away from personal experiences of like you know, you're at a different stage in your life. And there's nothing wrong with being a millionaire at 23. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. I think those stories should just motivate us and not um, <laughs> push us to feel bad about ourselves. But the algorithm doesn't work to, to serve that purpose. Really. No, it really doesn't. And I was trying to explain this to someone the other day about um, it was one of the kids I was working with and talking to their mom. And they're like, no, TikTok's fine. And I'm like, well there's still an algorithm that you may get some things that aren't probably appropriate for your for your child to be seeing. Right. And I think even for myself, 
I had to take, I don't know, it was like a couple of months to kind of get this algorithm. Now it's messed up again. But like, <laughs> you know, the things that I wanted to see, like, you know, some of the, hor- there's horrendous things on mm. social media that they say they censor, but they do not. Right. And I feel like more of the important information, stuff that we need to know is the stuff that's censored. Because I don't know why I'm seeing someone that I don't follow and them living their best life. But it's not telling me about my friend and what they're doing and yeah. the fun that they're having because I feel like I can kind of relate and enjoy my friend's um, successes than someone that I don't know who's probably being paid to act like totally. this is what they're, they're really doing, you yeah. know? Yeah, so anyway, just thinking of the child and youth care program, I think that's just, I, I would be so scared to go into a program like that because I can't help or I can't, I wouldn't be able to deal with, you know, the injustice that is done to kids. And just thinking of children of color, like, how have you um, tried to help the children of color that that come? I don't know if you get a mixture of both or or do you get more of the other? So um, right now, for, as I work for um, Tilikum Lalem, the Aboriginal Friendship Center. Right. So primarily my clients are Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And this is the one thing that I'm totally agreeing with you. When it comes to kids, I have no tolerance. No right. tolerance. Because kids do not deserve to be subjected to racism, discrimination, you know, lack of services. Because, and it comes around, like, you know, to... They're being labeled, say, from the education system that they're, you know, incompetent or they have like a learning they have too much behavior. Right. And I get so frustrated because in my third year practicum, I was really fortunate to be a part of this school where it was a blended class, kindergarten to grade two. Mm -hmm. And I understand we don't like the system doesn't allow for funding for this to happen. But it was a very unique situation where they learn together, they play together. If you looked at them, you couldn't tell if they're in kindergarten or grade two. And, you know, some kids may have been behind in learning, but it didn't matter because we just all learned together. They had their own workbooks that said their name. And when they opened it, it was they just learned together. And so I think for me, I have always been very passionate about children's rights and protecting them and Especially because kids, I don't like, well, they might not be conscious of yet of it yet, mm-hmm. but that they are being maybe marginalized. Right. And um, just, and it's a really delicate topic because when you mention racism or marginalization or discrimination to children, um, it's kind of really hard to hear. So I don't really try to tell them like, oh, you're being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. We're like, hmm, maybe we're going to find ways to kind of, stop what's ever happening and move forward from that i think that's a good point about children not knowing that this is happening to them i think at some point they they start to believe that this is how it's supposed to be and their personality becomes um tailored to to thinking that that's just the way of life and Mm -hmm. that's how it's supposed to work and it's so difficult but i'm happy that you know there are people who are i'm happy that they can look and see someone like you, a person of color, trying to help them and telling them that this is not okay. Yeah. You can get help and um, we can do better. I think the biggest thing, um, judging by Canada's history, is that children were, you know, they were the the target to yeah. create this new culture, this new system and erase uh, someone else's history and tradition. So just to see that now there are people that stand and say, you can believe this you can be yourself and you can be the identity that your parents are you don't have to assimilate to anything it's so beautiful mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> okay so now we're just going to take a break we're going to play a song called shoestring by felix ames and this song was recommended by our guest can you tell us something about the song um i think the reason why i picked it i was in choir for many years in my life and i think music is a beautiful way to connect with people regardless if you share the same language and so i just really like the the beat of the song more or less so that's yeah. why i recommended it
Just can't hold you when I'm hurting. See, shake is heavy when you carry the sins of your father. See, I got plenty. Uh, everything I see is unsure lately, and everything I need is unsure, baby. But I can't find my way now. everybody welcome back to the vulnerability talk show this is your host mish with my special guest taylor and we were just talking about her experience in the child and youth care program and now just to take off um some steam from the, the conversation which was a bit heavy i'm going to ask taylor some common sense questions okay the answers are pretty clear <laughs> don't think too much but also try think of it okay <laughs> right so the first one I have is, what can be broken but is never held? What can be broken but never be held? <laughs> you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is emotions. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's close, actually. That's actually close. The answer is a promise. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if a plane crashes between the borders of USA and Canada, where do they bury the survivors? On the border. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think they bury survivors, though. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> this is very true, Taylor. Wow. Ooh-ooh. Okay. If you spell sit in the tub as um, soak, S-O-A-K, and a funny story as a joke, J-O-K-E, 
how do you spell um, the white of an egg? Yolk. Y-O-L-K. But but the white of an egg is not the yolk, though. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Trick question, right? Yes. Wow. Trick. Okay, I have two more. Who is bigger? Mr. Bigger, Mrs. Bigger, or their baby? I'm going to go with the baby. Why? (laughs) Because it should be the biggest. Well, (laughs) that's actually close. But the answer is, yes, the answer is the baby. And the reason is because that would be a little bigger. So the baby is a little bigger. Ah. (laughs) I see how you calculated that. That was smart, though. (laughs) Okay. Why can't a woman living in Europe be buried in Canada? Because they're alive. Yay! <laughs> Didn't get me that one. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I thought I got you in the last one. You're not supposed to get any correct. I'm upset. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> right. Can you recall any personal experiences that compelled you to be passionate about social justice? Um, I think I have always been a person of color, obviously. <laughs> so, like, I appeared one day and I was like, oh, you're a person of color. But um, I've experienced a lot of microaggressions um, in my life as well. And the reason, I guess, also why going to school, learning history, all of that stuff kind of... I've always been the type of person to kind of call it the way it is. And so um, I remember when I was in grade 10, me and my... Uh, really good friend actually right we were at in metrotown on the mainland really big mall and we went to our money exchange so my friend who was also mixed mm-hmm. at the time had an afro wearing a hat and we were teenagers so i recognized you know we get automatically like oh you're gonna steal something we were just browsing and we got followed around our money exchange right and so I noticed that right away. My friend did not. And I'm like, we're leaving. He's like, why? And I'm like, because we're getting followed. And for no apparent reason, besides that we're being profiled currently. And we're getting out of the store. And I've never bought anything from Amani Exchange. And I never will for the rest of my life. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that's fair. And I guess for me, when as a person of color walking through life, you kind of always have to think about social justice issues because um they impact us a lot more and they're quite blatant right and you know like when this the number one i think microaggression that i've i've experienced being like oh like where are you from and i'm like i was born in ontario lived in bc my whole life mostly what do you mean no, where are you really from? Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, like, what do you mean? Like, are you asking me because you're curious? Or are you asking me because you want to put me in a specific box? Right. And I think, you know, I'm very proud to be mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, I'm proud of that. But if you're asking me out of curiosity, just as a way of connection, I get that. But if you're asking me in to fulfill some other weird thing about what you're trying to ask me. I'm like, no, thank you. And I will get defensive. So, yeah. I have a professor who is um, also a person of color, but she's um, Canadian, born and raised here. Um, She does have um, Chinese roots, though. Mm -hmm. So she she just says that when people ask her, where are you really from? She'll just answer the question and she'll say, where are you from? (laughs) Yeah. Because, honestly speaking... This is indigenous land. Yeah. <laughs> so you're asking me where I'm from, but you're also yeah. not supposed to be here. So she just said, it just, it's helped me so much to also ask. And she says the shock that people then show on their faces, like, um, but I'm supposed to be, no, <laughs> you're not, yeah. you know? So she just said, to, and I think for me, 
that's just the way I deal with people who are not asking because they genuinely want to know and maybe want to have a conversation about it. Because I feel like you can always tell where it's like trying to exclude you and say, you know. And I I even had a conversation with, um, we were in this seminar and um, one of the guests actually stated that, you know, I ask people where they're from because it helps me um, direct where I want the conversation to go. Hmm. But then I'm human, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm human and we can just have a conversation about anything, right? Like you don't have to put me in a box. You don't have to know where I'm from to see if I understand something. Because if you bring up something that I don't understand, if you ask me about Harry Potter and I don't know about it, I can also follow up and say, tell me about it. Yeah. And that's a conversation already. Totally. So why must you feel like you need to have the upper hand when we can just have a normal human experience and talk about whatever it is you want to talk about? Yeah, that's right? so interesting that they would say where they want to guide the conversation. Like, I think one thing, and I'm, I'm going to bring this up because I think it's one of the things that I often argue with people about mm-hmm. is racism. Um, systemic racism versus everyday racism. And, you know, we can't hide our skin color. Mm -hmm. And we can't, that's something that's there, or our curls or whatever these defining features that we have, we can't hide that. But that doesn't make us any different. We're still, like you were saying, we are just humans. Mm -hmm. We're existing on the same earth. And just because my genes might be a little bit different than yours doesn't, give you the opportunity or the the chance to judge me because of that right you should judge me on my character first Mm -hmm. then you know go from there and i think for me i'm proud of where i'm from Mm -hmm. so i will at some point in the conversation just mention that oh so i'm actually from and things are a bit different and you know i would actually bring it up so i don't know i think it's a bit weird that we we always need to um you know get information from people to use it to put them in in a certain place it's like controlling you know it's weirdly um trying to control people and it's weird it is (laughs) it really is weird and humans are weird i guess at the end of the day (laughs) as well right okay so just thinking of um what you like to do when you're not at work okay you know what how do you spend your time other than being at work? Um, I go to the gym. I spend time with my friends. Um, I cook a lot. I. Uh, what do you like cooking? Um, everyone always asks me that, and I have a really hard time kind of, you know, answering it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I love cooking a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy baking right now. I am, I have this really awesome, like cookbook that I got. And so I've been kind of experimenting with some of those, uh, things. Some have been amazing. Some have been horrible, Yeah. (laughs) but Hey, that's the fun of cooking and baking. Um, but I like cooking all different types of ethnicity of foods. Mm -hmm. Like I like experimenting and I am the type of person where I will use a recipe as a guideline, not as law, because (laughs) I think one of the most important people can cook. Everyone can cook as much. But the most important part about cooking, I find, is the love that you put into it. You can tell when someone really enjoys cooking versus someone's like, oh, I had to make this chicken and salad for dinner today. Mm. I just need to eat it. Right. (laughs) No, there's a difference. So just thinking of... um your family life and how you grew up what was the food situation like like how how was food time did you guys sit around a table did you you know that's a really great question i think when i was younger we did eat around the table a lot i think growing up also funds were kind of like hard so my mom was always really great at being very innovative about getting really good food for a very low cost. Right. And um, I think as we got older, though, we started not eating together. And I didn't know that that was because we all had different schedules or what it was. But I even find when we go, when I go home to visit my mom and my sisters, like, 
we're all looking at our phone. Mm. It's like, why are we looking at our phone? Let's yeah. talk to each other. And mm. even I find myself, I do it myself. So I'm no, I'm no, like, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I pick up my phone and scroll on Instagram. There's no reason for me to pick up my phone during dinner and scroll on Instagram. And if you can tell me an, a reason why, then you're probably wrong too. So it's fine. <laughs> but um, some of my friends that are a little bit older, they're like, why are you scrolling on your phone? Don't you want to have a conversation with me? And I'm like, right. oh my gosh, I feel like poo. And it's not because they made me feel that way. It's mm. because I should really just not be so attached to this. So I guess, um, yeah, it's changed over the years. And But there, the one thing I will mention is um, a few times a year, my mom and I make a traditional Ecuadorian um, dinner. Amazing. And so it's so yummy. We, uh, it's called um, cortido, which is fa- my favorite. It's like a salad with onions and tomatoes and lemon juice and salt. Super, mm. super simple. But um, Ecuadorian food can often have a lot of pork in it. So it cuts the fat of that. Right. And then um, we have empanadas, which it's very different from depending where you are in family to family. Mm-hmm. My family, we just do it with cheese and onions and it's fried. Um, some people call them samosas. Some people call like, there's so many different words for them, but, um, yeah, that's something I love to do with my mom when I get the opportunity to do it. Right. When was the last time you went home? Um, actually my sister's birthday. So my sister just, oh my gosh, when did she, how did she turn? 23? Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's 23. Um, so just at the beginning of March, I went back. How was that? I feel... I find going home and um, coming back is like rejuvenating. You feel like I'm ready for life again. Do you feel that way? Um, yes, sometimes I do. Sometimes <laughs> I don't. It just really depends. <laughs> um, but it is good to see my sisters. I think we're, me and my sisters, as we're getting older, we're becoming closer. And I think it's really awesome um, just in having now adult relationships. When you're younger, you know, it's like your sibling you love them they're kind of annoying still still valid to this day but like you know their relationships now are kind of cool Mm -hmm. like my sister youngest sister she just turned 19 and you know we had the opportunity to like do adult things that you know maybe we didn't do before and it's just like kind of cool to see that and see them become adults as well right so Taylor, it was amazing to have you on the show. Do you have any last words or anything that you'd like to say to the people out there, anyone that's listening? Um, I think I talked a lot today. And we enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to be here today and to talk. It's my very first time, so it was a really awesome experience. So thank you for that. And just also before we go want to acknowledge that I'm super thankful to live and learn and be on this talk show on the Sinemo First Nation and I just you know raise my hands to this nation for allowing us the space to do things like this so thank you again for being an amazing host and having me on your show yes I mean big thank you to the Sinemo First Nation for allowing us to work and play on their land it's just an honor that we also get to experience um our dreams on their land and they've allowed it so yeah anyway everybody thank you so much for tuning in today signing us out is a song called waiting in vain by bob marley um it was recently his birthday i think a couple of months ago and um yeah what a legend you know what a star see you next week same time same place don't forget to tune in and to follow the vulnerability talk show on instagram